Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cinematic Underdogs. I'm your host, Jordan Puga. And I'm your other host, Paul Keelan. And today we're back and we're doing another long form TV series with Welcome to Wrexham. And this one's going to be fun, I think. So I'll let you start off. What is your initial thoughts and overview of this quirky FX series? This is not a Ted Lasso ripoff. That'd be my first thoughts. Because when I saw the little, um, what we call them, like thumbnails when you're going through like Hulu, I was like, oh, Ryan Reynolds, the dude from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, they're doing like a Ted Lasso show. Cool. That was my first like kind of thought. Obviously, it's not that. It's like a real world uh, acquisition of a team. Um, so yeah, my first thought was like, this is actually really legit after watching that first episode. So that was my kind of pause when I first saw the trailer, if you will, whatever for this thing. I was like, oh, it's kind of a Ted Lasso thing. Um, but it's not. It's just as heartwarming as Ted Lasso in some ways. But it's a really cool behind the scenes, kind of in the vein, of, like we talked about, like Hard Knocks-esque, kind of like documentary behind the scene, guerrilla style documentary. So yeah, I, I, my first thoughts are this is pretty cool. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And uh, you can't read an article about this without hearing them describe it as the real life Ted Lasso, right? But it is quite different because it is real life, right? Like this is a investment story, right? It's, it's almost as much of a business documentary as it is a sports documentary. Yeah. Right? And then the weird way it is like Ted Lasso, because like the hook, I think, is also for like the American audience. It's just like, ooh, like Americans who are sort of now familiar with football, really getting familiar with like football and that culture, that European culture, which is also the hook of, you know, that first season of Ted Lasso. Um, even though they're like, they're not like, you know, American football coaches taking over in a coaching role, like, you know, they are that, that bringing that foreign perspective, that outsider view into that realm of football. So I think that hook is just like, like them kind of picking back off that hook uh, works in the, in that, in a weird way. Yeah. It's a really interesting point too, right? Because you can't downplay the fact that these are two fish out of water Americans who know literally nothing about we call it football, right? English football. So soccer. And they are kind of idiot savants in a way as the owners of this team, right? They have the money and the capital to hold the reins and really make things happen and transform this team in this community. Yet they're doing so largely either blindfolded or handicapped by the opinions of those around them, right? So they have to like many CEOs surround themselves with talent, right? They're not the talent. So, so much they're the uh you know the funders right yeah. and the, i wouldn't even call them the visionaries right uh it's very broy to me it's very fratty it's like this dream yeah. situation right yeah actually like i was recently watching um how i met your mother and there's this one episode where the main character ted talked to his kids like at one point i asked myself the question that every man asks himself or, or i uttered the words that every man utters in his life at some point dude we should open a bar right and that's kind of like what this is it's like not a bar but it's like dude we should own a team Right. So if you're kind of like you said, that kind of broy, like we like sports, like we like fantasy, whatever. Let's do it ourselves. Um, it's kind of like if you're in that realm and had that kind of wealth, like at that point, maybe you would utter the words of maybe people like that have always uttered those words. Dude, let's get on a team. Like they just actually did it, though. And what's interesting, too, is the way this was spawned. Right. It, the timing, too, during the pandemic, right, is when they really made did the buyout for this team. And we get into that as well. The economics of that, right? It both it turns them into even more of savior figures to many in the town, right? To many yeah. in this this small community of Wrexham. But it also turns them into sharkish entrepreneurs, right? Who are taking a vulnerable community and getting probably a huge killer deal. So you, our listeners are going to immediately already recognize that I have like a two minded opinion on this show and it's going to be constant throughout like i am so divided on this like i am so critical of ryan reynolds and to a lesser degree 
right, of Mac, Rob McElhenney, and yet kind of celebratory of them as well. Like I, I, I root for them and then I'm so stoked when they fail because I just don't want to see that be easy for them. Like I wanted <laughs> the struggle the whole time because if they just succeeded, right, it, it uh, is such a cynical thing. It just means like money can buy you anything. And so like, I realized that as much as I was, you know, developing a relationship with this team and this community mm-hmm. and empathizing with them, the fundamental macroeconomics of the situation made me have to consider like the people in their league, the teams in their league uh-huh. and how utterly unfair it is that they have this leverage of capital to basically, <laughs> you know what I mean? To basically get promoted yeah. by the dollar bill, you know, whatever their dollar bill is. So yeah, definitely. I like that you bring that up. Cause like, uh, I thought the show did a good job of making me root for them. Cause usually I'd be the one who's more critical about that, especially living in LA and watching the Rams, just like, like you said, like mortgage the Super Bowl, And now you got to kind of like watch them, you know, just shit the bed week after week because they have nothing good. But like you said, like um, they do a good job of making me kind of like put that aside by the midway point, because I was pretty much like that a lot of ways. Like, I hope they don't like get get in to where like the last episode in like the most like quintessential cliche sports movies way. I'm rooting for the underdog, if you will. But you made a point. This is underdog is backed by a lot of money. Um, I want them to get that underdog win, though, in the sense that they did it in one shot. Like they did it in one try. Um, and the formula worked, right? Because I like the way the show gives us such a humanity behind the scenes to like the the cast of Rexham, like um, if I just throw out a couple of names, like Phil Parkinson, the coach. I really like him. Like again, someone they brought in with the money, but put such a human face to him with the way what he's like really trying to do there and the way the town both likes him and just turns on him, then comes back to like him, right? Such a great story again, like the celebrity, this mini celebrity and like, you know, trying to rise to expectations and the pressure. I liked his story. Again, like Sean Harvey, who's like this, he's just the advisor to their board. So he's a, he's a suit dude, um, but he's like the adult in the room. I think they actually describe him like that a couple of times, um, as I recall, right? Yeah, they did describe him as Yeah, like he's the one who really gives crutch. them the numbers, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, here's, here's what we actually have. Here's what you want to do. It's your decision, but later on, though, there's a point when these bills are going to come due, right? That's like my, my RAM reference, right? You're going with what you said. They did a really good job, though, of like buying the right people and like making them like heroes in the story so that when we get to the end of whether it's you know do or die are they going to actually win and get into elevate into the next into that into the league they want to get into initially i wanted them not to when i was first watching the first half but by i gotta admit by the time i was at the last two episodes like i kind of hope they win like in the middle of the episode because it does such a good job of making like you know each match pretty cinematic i think i'll say Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, you're interested in the scores of these games. You can you can Google if you want and look them up. Right. These things already happened. But you, I, I didn't. I don't want to. I wanted to see like, you know, the, the way they, they came out and the, the portrayal of the t- of the crowd and the familiar people we get to know from the locals. Right. It's such as just like, again, going back to the Ted Lasso thing. It's such a good like human connection of like the way, um, again, sports transcends into community and goes down into the individual. And like they just did such a way of connecting that to these to these nobodies, really. Um, that I found myself actually rooting for them like a movie, even though it's not a movie. I felt myself like, oh man, I hope they fucking mighty ducks this and win. Like, Mullen, go Mullen. I, I was on board for that. Dude, I have to be fully honest as well that I, by the end, was checking myself to try not to root for them because I was rooting for them. And you say a lot of things, right? Like, they have this formula. So you're kind of rooting for this formula, even though it's kind of a cheat code as well, right? It's like, it's like they're on, you know, if it's a video game, right? They're on like expert level and they're playing beginners to a degree or they did the cheat code where you get unlimited funds, like (laughs) Grand Theft Auto, right? You get all the money, you buy all the weapons. like. And like every time they talked a little bit about money, I just rolled my eyes because these guys are just swimming in it, especially Ryan. 
like when they talked about the turf issues and blah 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 it's just like okay that's like it's a secondhand thought you know what i mean yeah. um, e- even with those astronomical numbers like in the millions i think for the for the turf situation yeah. which sounds rough like it's it's a bad day you're having a bad day it's like having a car accident for them but <laughs> yeah, also like, if you're investing in a, in a football team it's kind yeah. of par for the course literally for sure and but we've seen right with so many sports right like i'm a huge dodgers fan and they they just like bankroll that team mm-hmm. and they do a lot of great development as well but still they deserve some of the criticism that comes with the salary cap they have. And a lot of it's like top heavy, right? Like they pay way too much to a lot of players I like, like Mookie Betts, right? And it's so like the parody is actually still quite there. They just like overpay because they want these big names to bring in people to the seats and establish mm-hmm. their identity. And it, it's basically a business decision. We're going to have these huge names and we're going to fill in the stadium and be in the playoffs every year, right? It's going to yeah. pay us off. But it definitely makes them a little bit at an unfair advantage against a lot of their, you know, opponents. And so like, I have no problem rooting for them, for example, because it's still so hard when you get to the professional level to truly have an advantage. Right. Um, And we see that in the first half of this season, right. When they bring in Paul superhero Mullen and they bring in, as you said, Phil, the coach, right. This kind of all-star coach, um, which I've given this rant a lot. I think coaches are overrated across the board in every sport, but still I get it. They're a good organizer. They could change the mentality. They could change the morale of a team. So they brought in two huge names, right. Two, two like powerhouses from higher league. So they basically both agreed to demoting themselves or humbling themselves for money. So like there's a kind of catch 22, right? And they try to, they try to give Paul Mullen the alibi of like his family's there and he's doing it because he's a family man. Kind of didn't buy into it. I bought a little yeah. bit. Like I definitely think that was a little bit of incentive, but come on, it was a paycheck. It's like, interesting. Like, sorry, cut you off. Did you bring, yeah. you bring me, uh, this reminds me of another one we covered, which is like the, the trashers one, right? Mm-hmm. Where you get like pro players. That was a little different where you have people in the NHL who are like in a lockout year, right? Yeah, but you kind of have a thing where they could just pay money, right? Obviously, this is like no questionable money, but they can make those offers, right? And that's that's a part of the best part of that documentary is hearing people about these offers and like the form of payment and stuff, and like you know the circumstances. But like this is like the other end of it, but like it's, it's kind of like the same thing, right? There's this pool of money, and like you can actually get players who are like you said really at the level above you to actually come down, and you know it's such a like such a big deal to have someone actually you know, take that skill or the prestige cut, if you will, for the increase in pay. They do a good job of brushing over, like I said, because like a lot of the ones they brought are such like they make them such a focal point of the upcoming episodes. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, really tying it into like the roots and like the family thing uh, where you kind of forget like, you know, they these dudes literally should be playing like the division above. Like, you know, it's like in youth sports, like it's like 14 year olds playing with like eight year olds kind of thing for like that reference. Uh, yeah, no, it's fascinating. Right. In like. We watched Beckham come to the MLS, right? In like our heyday of soccer, I guess, or just like at this prime time when soccer was sort of becoming a thing in the US for the first time, the MLS was really getting its legs, right? Beckham was the star of the world at this time. And then he was a little aged in like about five year span, right? Like it can be quite quick with professional athletes, right? And so he was on his way out and down though in the Premier League, uh, I believe he was in, right, in the UK when he came over to the MLS. So it's a little different, though, because Paul Mullen is still on the up and up, right? He's in the prime of his years. When Beckham came, I don't know what team he played for and played at the MLS. Like, he was sold, you know, massive amounts of tickets and did a great job for his family financially, right, and kind of reboosted his image a little because he already had that Hollywood glamour. Mm -hmm. But it was not... So much Kobe in his prime going to play for the minors, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it's kind of insane to see, uh, you know, some of the talent that they do acquire, even with the money they're throwing at them. But they are giving them other 
you know, positives that you can't almost buy. They're giving them like massive exposure. And they knew that. I know they sold that. I mean, they do that a lot of that behind the scenes, right? But they know the, you know, the advertisement money in this team. And mm-hmm. they know that they're going to end up getting on ESPN with a hundred million people. I read that quote, right? Watching some of their games, right? Not even just, you know, residents of like the UK or Europe, but like yeah. across the world watching these games, right? They know the power and how that power can be weaponized of the two stars behind the team. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's got to be somewhat of an incentive as well. But it is, I, I was still quite fascinated that they were able to lure them so quick. And I was a little bummed at the documentary for not giving us the logistics of that recruitment process quite enough, I remember. You know, this is an 18-episode series, so already those episodes are a little dim in my memory. But, you know, they definitely talked about like how awesome it would be get, to get Paul Mullen, right? Uh, especially Rob's eyes light up and they're like, can we do it? Can we do it? Like, we have to do it, right? Like, that's our answer. And then he's suddenly on the team, kind of. And I yeah. really wanted those cameras to be there during, you know, some of these conversations between the owner, you know, and some of these people who are surrounding, uh, you know, Ryan and Rob, who you've already mentioned, right? Who are so paramount and tantamount to the success of this team. Like they're the ones truly doing all of the the brunt work here. And Mm -hmm. I really wanted to see a little more of that on some situations. And that was definitely one, but yeah, they definitely went out and they got the talent, but they still didn't succeed. Right. That's pretty interesting. Those first like eight episodes. Uh I love because I was like, this is great. Like they're just throwing money and it's (laughs) not working and it's proving so much about sports. Right. Yeah. Initially. Initially, right? Because it proves that is sports is also about chemistry, right? Yeah. <laughs> about unity and about consistency and mm. longevity. And, you know, as much as you also feel for these Rexham residents, right? And I love those pieces almost more than anything in this documentary. I really do love, you know, some of the Rexham personalities we get to know. We The bar owner, right? He was probably the most level-headed of anyone, I think, in the city almost. Him, yeah, at times, for sure. Yeah, he definitely gets fierce, right? He got, he got pretty angry a few times, but I feel like he was the more sober-headed one when they sometimes got heated. So we got him, right? We have yeah, um, sort of like a- Wayne Jones, if I remember right. Oh, yeah, I think that you're right, right? Yeah. What about the other guy who's kind of younger, going through a divorce, he has two oh, kids? Yeah, Sean Winter is his <laughs> name. Yeah, he's one that stands out because he's like, like I say, he's going through a divorce. He's he self-professes, he hates his job. Um, the only thing he really likes is his two young boys. His woman kind of left him. Um, but that's how they bond is going to these Wrexham games, right? He's a, he's a regular at the bar who's always there. He's not at the stadium that day, right? He's at the bar yelling at the screen, right? And that's one of the things I like. Like we were just talking about like the coaching and stuff like that. I like watching the scenes between Sean and Wayne. Like you said, like one's pretty level-headed and one's kind of always drunk and just like mad. But like I said, that's his like position. Like he's mad. He's like going through like a hard time. And like, he's got this team that's kind of, like you said, they got everything. They got this big piggy bank. They got all this shiny new toys, right? But they're, the functionality of all the action features of the toys don't quite do what he wanted to do, right? He's like, the missiles doesn't shoot far enough. The coach isn't doing enough. The players aren't doing enough. And like Wayne is initially, like you said, in like the first like three episodes, like the voice of reason in the bar, 
It's like, look, guys, we've got this money coming in. We got the coach. It's going to work out, right? But by like five, six, seven, eight, he's kind of like, I really wish we were at this point here, right? And I like that because the vocalization of like the town, the community, the fan, like it's coming from such a authentic place, right? Like it's right in the in the vicinity of the of the stadium, right? So it's it's in the moment. It's, it's some of the mo- it's great, like you know, off the cuff criticism. But I like how it connects. Like uh, when we get to the episode with the their coach, um, we just kind of get one with him and his kid, a little more behind the scenes, right? He really discusses like the process of like again, it shows his day to day. Like he goes to these places with these locals and gets his breakfast before the game every game at the same place. And he's got to hear this shit. Like these tools tell him this. They tell it to his face. Like I like that, right? And you see that he he is so like just like comfortable hearing the criticism, puts it somewhere, probably doesn't dismisses it, right? And just believes in his process. Right. And just like you said, we need this and this. Like he's like, we're here when they go to like the second point of we're gonna try to get the trade deadlines when they're trying to get um Jordan Davies and Ollie Palmer. And I love like the way he sways Ryan Reynolds, right? This is a point where they're not really doing great. The fans, like I said, haven't necessarily turned on them, but they're about to, right? They like that the stadium's upgraded, they like the exposure but they don't like the standings, right? That's the thing. They don't like the standings. I get this as like a fan of like a team that has like money and like the nice stadium and stuff, but you don't really like where your team's at, right? But I love the coach. He's like, look, we just need these two guys and, you know, the pieces will be here. I feel like the train's moving in the right directions. They're hearing my uh, enthusiasms in the locker rooms. It's going to work kind of thing, right? It's kind of his pitch. It's such a great way, again, playing to the audience. Like you said, these dudes have deep pockets. They don't want to fail, right? They, they're loose with their money. But him like really like selling like the value of the coach, right? He actually ends up worth the price tag, right? He really gets them on the right track. He uses that right formula. He didn't listen to the crowd, which I really like and really buy into that. Again, like I was like you, it made me respect the role of a soccer coach differently or coaching in general. Cause I could be, as a fan, you can be very like, I could be very flippantly like um, dismissive of their decisions and whatnot. And again, I like seeing like the accumulation of bad decisions and like learning from them and like the trajectory and believing in the process. And like I said, getting into that final game, those episodes, the way they're kind of like spaced out really worked for me, like really well with like, really like identifying with the team, identifying with the, the town and the struggle. And again, like elevating the coach, like in such a theatrical way as like this, like kind of like, you know, not like savior figure, right. But that guide, right. Weirdly like that Obi-Wan Gandalf for our, for our movie lovers, right. He gives them the right path. Um, we'll yeah. see where it goes with season two, right? But I like the way he earns his spot, um, kind of earns his keep. And a lot of the players do too, for sure. But the way he is like portrayed earning his spot would really like for me, it made me like respect that coaching role in a way like I don't as a fan sometimes. And I was like, it kind of makes you like check yourself <laughs> for sure. It's interesting. Actually, I'm going to disagree here. It's fine though. I, I don't buy into the coach to this day. I totally don't. I don't think yeah. that team was turned around until Ollie Palmer came. I think they just loaded that team even more. I love his enthusiasms, which we talked about off the air already, right? His youth, their euphemism, and they keep these running counts of how many times he drops F-bombs during the game, right? And I like him as a person. Like, I'm not trying to diss him as a person. Like you said, like when he eats breakfast with his son, I think he's a good coach. I think he's a great, competent coach. And great's a weird word to use here. I, I wish I just used good again. I think that the first coach that got fired was just as good. That's what pissed me off so much at the end of the second episode. See, I saw this team who was on the up and up already without all the capital. And what bummed me out is like, I feel like they could have just like fostered a little more of an organic uprise here. They literally were a game away in the first season, which we get the very tail end of, right? One game away from, from being promoted. And what happens throughout the whole other 16 episodes, they get all the way back and they're one game away again, right? Oh man, I like when you remind me of that because it makes them even more like Philadelphia Eagles fans. 
Like, really? <laughs> just not grateful enough. Like, we got one championship next yeah. year. We didn't get that championship. I know they're going eight and one right now. They're feeling good, but give them another loss and see how that fan base takes it. And so it's it's great they brought the Eagles too, right? Because that's why, like, Rob, I was so much more forgiving of. Because I really felt like he bought into the blue-collar ethos of this community, right? And yeah. he was the brainchild behind this. So as I've read, like, he was watching this show called Sunderland Till I Die. And it's about another English football club, Sunderland AFC. And it was about how they got relegated from the Premier League and how they got a new coach and uh it coincided with the first year under the ownership of uh, uh Stuart Donald right so he's watching this right while he's he's working on another show and so he's getting these ideas and he's hanging out with the personality who becomes a major important figure in this Humphrey Kerr right he's kind of their like ambassador right in the first five episodes right he's the tall guy that does the Star Wars audition video he's so goofy when he just tries to walk stiff I believe for us. Do you, you remember that part where yeah, he's like in the parking lot? So I love when he like talks to him the first time too. his first speech to the team. He's all like nervous, he's like, nervous, right? Yeah. yeah. So he's a writer too. So he's hanging out in the writer's room with Rob and they're on this show called mythic quest. Right. So they're hanging out they're talking. And so McElhenney has the idea of like, you know, suddenly why don't I do that? Right. Cause he gets really into this idea of promotion and demotion, which I love. I love that it's organic in its own weird way. And as a Phillies fan, right? I think he just, he loves sports, man. He's the one who's up with this kid at 6 a.m., gripping his seat, you know what I mean? Biting his nails. Like, you feel it. That's why they always lose when he watches because he cares too much. So, like, <laughs> he's the most doomed fan, right? You can just tell, right? I like, I totally, and like, you know that they're going to succeed once Ryan Reynolds comes because for him, he's so flippant about it the whole time. He's, he's quasi dismissive, right? He's just his normal, smarmy, aloof self, right? Yep. And like, he's kind of sad and kind of winky and, you know, he's a little bummed, but you know, he's also kind of pissing off McElhenney who really cares. And is <laughs> he's getting the gist that like Reynolds is just pandering to, to his like, <laughs> you know, like ambition to a degree, you know what I mean? Like, I think Reynolds is really sold on the fact that, uh, that surrounding this, right. I think he's yeah. sold on the story line behind it. I think he sold on the, the brilliant idea. Cause this is a brilliant investment. If you think about it, you're buying, like, I think it's in the Guinness book of world record as the oldest continuous, like soccer stadium in the world mm -hmm. or something close to that. Right. The race car horse. Yeah. You have this tradition. It's so rich. And you also have a city that owns the club. You have a cooperative, right? Because they had an old owner who was a, a, a basically just a criminal, right? Who was trying to sabotage the team from the inside to sell the land for real estate. Yeah. It was a great episode too. I forget <laughs> his name, right? Uh, the guy's name was Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton, right? Yeah. He's yep. truly evil. And that was one of the most interesting stories, right? When you saw them protesting at his house, right? And mm -hmm. you saw them basically have a takeover of the team, right? I love that. Because yeah. like you hear about like fans of the Packers get to own a piece of the Packers, but it's so silly. It's just like this symbolic nonsense, right? This yeah. was a truly a, a, a cooperatively owned team. And it is so interesting to see the bureaucracies they run into, right? Because yeah. it caused them a lot sure. of trouble too. But it's the reason why they're able to swoop in and and, and pick up this, I think, for a, a great deal. And mm. they have a great idea. Like, this is a crazy pyramid structure that they show us, right? And if you if you win your league, you get promoted. So ideally, if they put enough money and all the things fall in the right places, in five seasons, they are literally in the Premier League. And suddenly, this small Welsh community is revitalized. This old stadium is sold out every game. 
their t-shirts are selling across the world because they they knew they were going to get TikTok and Aviation Gym yeah. and Mint Mobile and all these other endorsements to team up because mm-hmm. Ryan Reynolds is basically, you know, a syndicate now, right? He owns so much stuff. Yeah. His hands are in so many pots, right? So it's just another sort of business venture for him to put into a sort of holistic yeah, diversification of funds, right? Because that's yeah. the best thing to do when you're a mogul, right? Like Jay-Z to a degree. So mm-hmm. and also like that, the, the fact that like, like what we're talking about, the Hulu show itself, if it's a success, which it was, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, oh, just sure. team who's not even in the Premier League, who arguably has more focus in, the, in certain sections of the world than Premier League teams. A weirdly trendy, devoted fan base, just like using like Ted Lasso as a reference, right? When Ted Lasso season rolls around, like we all get stoked for it now. It's going to be on its third. It's merchandising is getting out there much bigger and whatnot. Like, like they're a team on uh, FIFA, if I remember right, right? You can actually play as them. For I, I see online, I haven't played FIFA in a while, right? But that's that's really cool, right? That, yeah. That's like getting to play with like like the Hanson bros and like NHL, right? I love that, right? So I like, again, like the way the, the transcendence and the marketing campaign of like, again, bringing in like these, like not necessarily niche audience, but like more, even if you don't win that championship, which they didn't, right? That next season is huge, right? Because you're bringing in all sorts of like tourism, if you will, to, to your league, which I think is just like genius. It's, it's like you said, it's just like, it's like, a, there's no losing in their situation. Like I said, just with how, with the celebrity they bring, uh, the brand FX behind them, you know, the Disney, all that. It's such a great, checks off all the boxes in a weird way. Like to your point and, and a weirdly uh, unfair competitive advantage, right? Just like I'm talking about, like, it'd be weird if I was talking about like, you know, triple A baseball this way, like some team and like, some coal mining town out there, you know, they bring a team, whatever like, it, that, you know, it'd be weird to talk about them more than we're talking about, like you said, the Dodgers or something like that. Uh, but here are you, they have like this microcosm that's doing that. Um, that's just like pushing them for like this next season, if you will. Yeah, no. And the one thing that I do give credit to for Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> this is a funny thing to give him credit for is I read articles about how Blake Lively didn't even know when he bought the team and he got in huge trouble, <laughs> like huge trouble for buying it. And the the reason why I give him props for that, right, is because he's buying all his sorts of stuff, right? And a lot of this to me is just a smart business decision that's really just a savvy financial move. And the fact that she didn't know just tells me that there was a little bit of risk that he was taking because it was like this bro code going on, I think, <laughs> because he got kind of seduced by Rob. And they have a good odd couple vibe. I love their rapport in some episodes i think they try to oversell it a bit i think they it's really interesting to see that they are truly awkward for the first half of this they're, <laughs> they're just still developing a friendship right they're still it's like characters of... like they're still their character he's like rob from it's always sunny kind of he's like ryan reynolds from twitter and deadpool you know they like, literally for, for like the first couple episodes yeah and it is kind of hard to like access ryan because like when does a shtick become just you, right? Because like Ryan is never off on this. It's just weird because it is reality TV. I mean, I'll, I'll say, I'll no, rephrase that. There are a seldom moments where he feels a little bit like some somewhat of the veil is removed, but it's still him. Like he still has this, and I wanted to call it disingenuous, but I don't think that's it. Because how are you disingenuous when you're always your shtick, right? Yeah. Like there's truly moments where I think he's bummed, right? Because at, at a certain point, even if it starts off as just a financial investment, you become completely invested in this thing. Mm-hmm. And that was the other thing that's kind of lovely about this show or like this sort of subtle, I think, romance between not not as much as like Ryan and Rob as they tried to sell, but I think between Ryan and the team, because he's the one who is like, I think, like just very aloof, very detached. But the more he gets embroiled in it, I'll say, because like, I think it becomes more of an investment that he like really planned. And they do explicitly say that a few times, like they were not expecting it to be this time consuming, right? Yeah. Uh, To be this 
uh, immersive. But, you know, when he makes that trip on his own, right, that funny episode where Rob's just like super jealous and envious because he gets to witness that amazing comeback game, <laughs> right? And he's just like up on the stands, just like <laughs> like king of the, of the stadium, right, Ryan? It, it is fun for me. Um, it's kind of annoying, like, if you think of it like this already rich adulated you know like one of like the world wonders of like just like people who get like praise and glory just you know i mean he's ryan reynolds like he's in a handful of household names across the world get even just like another space where they're just like revered and looked in a sort of godlike form right Uh i mean i'm overselling it but it's just like there's a little bit of like ickiness or like ah he's just like the school like the prize child and he can never (laughs) lose right it's kind of how like rob was kind of like I think kind of sulking. And I, I like right. that they even had that. I know that he was doing it kind of in a quippy way, in a kind of jokey way, but I felt that. But it also was like kind of cool because you saw, I don't know, him sort of be charmed and enchanted by this sport that he really didn't understand. Like he's asking at these games what offsides is, right? And I'm rolling yeah. my eyes. Like, <laughs> this is so embarrassing, man. You own the team. And that's how I was on that first two episodes, man. I was truly like almost infuriated. I felt as annoyed as vexed as some of the people i think feel about musk taking over twitter like that was a similar thing in which you have this takeover of someone who has nothing to do with this entity and immediately starts making all these huge changes right so i just felt like he was a schmuck toying with all these strangers lives especially when we see in the second episode Mm -hmm. this team outperforms that coach outperforms the players outperform and they all get fired because they're not quite good enough and they have enough money to buy someone else right Uh and that, that that was like, dude, he is just this arrogant billionaire, you know, and it's not even like the fact that he was so much pulling the strings is that he was yeah. just sort of just like kind of passively like, okay, yeah, all right. Uh, but then again, like, this is a different realm and sports is a cutthroat space, right? And that was one of the things I did respect about Phil, their current coach. It's like he's on the record multiple times, like saying like, I'm about to lose my job, like when they were doing well, maybe. And that's the way it is. I did like, I respect that dude as a person. I didn't try to say like, I don't think he's a change the team necessarily. I don't think so, but I do dig him. Like, I like his perspective. I like his demeanor um, and all that. So man, I just all over the board here, but a lot of thoughts. And it is funny, like you said though, right? The exposure to this just is huge. The the FIFA is a big deal too. I wish we had Aaron on. He's a big fan of the show. I tried to get him on, but he's been so busy. And we've had to keep on putting this this episode recording off. But he plays almost every day, I think, or constantly he's playing. And he's always playing Rexham, he says, oh, nice. <laughs> like when he plays. Yeah, which is fun. So are you as cynical as me? Or uh, I mean, I, I went off on a lot of new cynical threads, right? No, there. I don't think I was as cynical as you on this one, okay. actually. Cool. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, I've, it I've, doesn't like, bug you though. Just, just let me rephrase it. Let me try to make it pointed. I want some like that someone fair, who doesn't. So no, I, I agree with what, what your point is. Like with in terms of like going back to like the first episode, I was on board with you. Like these guys don't know soccer. They're they're controlling these people's lives who yeah. do know soccer. And like right. first thing, like initially, like I said, I thought this did a good job of swaying me because I was a little cynical in the first three. I was like, so Humphrey and um Sean, yeah, are are two you know behind the scenes guys who are getting credit. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is fair. Like I, that is true throughout the thing. Right. Yeah. Because like they're the ones teaching them. Right. They're the ones really qualifying decisions for an ignorant audience. And that's one thing I, I was thinking in the beginning, like like they're kind of like you said, like they're new fans, if you will. Um, But like you like said, the offsides thing, I was like, it's like if you're at an event, like, you know, if you're at a soccer game, the fan next to you says offsides, you're going to kind of be like, roll your eyes. <laughs> like, you know, you're here. Like, you know, you should know that. <laughs> or like, you know, in this case, though, they own the team. So I was like, that was when I was like, oh, you really? Like, I agree. So that was the one where I was, but like, they did a good job of swaying me, like I said, of developing like the team 
and really putting like a face to like you said these pieces that they're buying like these characters these these players right again like Paul Mullen his little tale of you know explain like his decision making a bit like you said they don't really explain the contracts but his explanation of like pretty much like summing up like I'm gonna be a huge star here I'm gonna be a huge star here make a lot of money it's gonna be cheaper to live here it's gonna be cool like oh that's kind of like he sums up but more much more eloquently like Jordan Davies like him just like him and his wife they have they have a really like like kind of heart-wrenching tale of her having a miscarriage and the way that episode is constructed though is really moving through the game them telling that story um, it comes up again where I, we haven't talked about it yet. There's this weird editing thing that's going on in the last uh, episode where you almost think like a like a player's going to die or something. Like I thought at one point, I forget which exact scene, right? But like it does enough where you actually care about these players that they've acquired. And like I said, you want them to succeed. I didn't feel like I was rooting against them at any point, which I generally would feel like I would do in a movie and in most settings like this, like you said, when like the cards are kind of stacked like this, but I really wasn't, right? Like Aaron Hayden's another one, the player he's from Nigeria, right? Mm-hmm. I remember he's from like a small place. Yeah, and he gets injured. Yeah, he gets injured and you kind of see him like on the sidelines. And that was a that was a really heart-wrenching one. The goaltenders, right? We actually watch them with their injuries. The backup goaltender gets in there and just gets like just obliterated by the fans. Like, and you see the way it impacts him. He's one of those people who reads the stuff and it hits him, right? That's what I think. Like, you see like the players it bounces off, and you see the people who really take it personally, and that, that's just how they are. That's just how they are. They're, they're, they're sensitive like that. It's fine. But seeing him overcome that also through some of these episodes and like seeing the support of the goalie he's you're really kind of competing with and like him really helping him through it. Those are to me like those really highlights that really like captivated me into the show and kept me wanting to come back like and keep watching like in the in that weird reality TV way. It was doing like what the great British baking show does. Mm-hmm. It makes the, these people like so like just like weirdly pleasant and supportive. And we don't get a lot of that in American television um, to the same degree. Like, yeah. like we're talking about hard knocks and you got to see the team development and stuff like that. But there's like, we, we watch preseason, there is a cutthroatness to it too. Like, you know, a lot of those dudes are leaving. That's like always on the mind. Like you said, when you're at this level, like getting cut, if mm-hmm. you will, like not making it to the next thing, like being expendable is a huge thing. Um, And they really like, you know, explain them. Like, like you said, when they do come to this new community and they, they know they might not be there that long, but they still want to put roots in and you see them become like locals. Uh, that was really something because you don't get that in hard knocks. It's not long enough, but the way they edit it and it's such a full year of their life. It does remind me of Ted Lasso, right? When you get to see him get up in the morning, get his cup of coffee with the assistant coach and like his little apartment, right? It reminded me of that, but with, you know, really like the players really becoming a piece of this like giant fabric and like, you want to see him stay. Like I did, I like, I'm like, I'm so I'm going to become like a fan of like watching them in real life or anything like that. But I am excited for the second season to see who's there, who's gone and, you know, what what the next trajectory is going to be. It, it sold me in that way. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big enough dork that like I follow their like on I don't watch, but I follow like what how they're doing, you know, and I don't even want to cool. tell you because like I wish I did not because like I think it's ruining the second season for me to a degree. Right. Because uh-huh. like part of the fun in this was truly like not knowing how they're going to do like it yeah. was truly suspenseful. Right. Definitely. Like the games are fun to watch. Like, like for instance, my fiance didn't watch this with me. There's one like she kind of like popped in on, but like you kind of watch it like like a sport, like, like it's live. You know, you kind of get in there and you're like you find yourself rooting against the narrative or for the narrative. Um, even just like if you're in there for like a quick, you know, there's the quick like five, 10 minute clips you get at the games. But they are, they're so well edited. Mm-hmm. And like the narrative of that episode and the way it hopefully ties into that game really keeps you there. And like I said, like, I'll say it again, like really rooting for that underdog, like this is an underdog podcast. And that's one of the things, like it, like you said, it, it hides the money so well and pushes that, that quintessential mythic underdog story. Like we forget like mighty ducks 
is Gordon Bombay showing up with Loffer money to the poor kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, now imagine if you're playing the other team, like you're like, those dudes just got like the hookup from, from the, you know, they got the best equipment, right? It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's that understated thing. Like it's, it's also like a part of all the stories that I think about like big green, right? You don't have the good equipment. We're going to bring you the good stuff. You got to get that money somehow. But like, this just does a good job of like concealing that. And those gonna, episodes yeah. and like making me more of a fan than like those movies. I just chirped like so hard, like over a couple years ago, which I find so funny. Like you said, because it's real. (laughs) I love how far reached your defense is getting and how valiant that effort is. But I, first of all, Bombay, you're rooting for him because he's a drunk who's in trouble (laughs) with the law. And so it's like a redemptive story, right? We don't have that with Ryan and Rob. Like they're, they're, they're they're like in the prime time of their life, ruling the world right now. So (laughs) for that reason, I don't buy that one. And for the big green, I mean, come on, they got like shin guards and cleats. They didn't get fancy stuff. They got, they they had a whole team of nets that you hit the ball. I remember the ones you juggle and the ball comes back. Imagine, imagine warming up against a team of kids with that. Yeah, that's intimidating. They're basically like the, the epitome of like like rejects and foster kids who got like basic equipment for the first time in their lives. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they were. They, they also got one. Hey, hey, they also got one. We're over. We're overlooking their Paul Mullen. <laughs> There, that is their Paul Mullen. We talked about that. They pulled some illegal shit there. They got Paul Mullen. True. And, and, was playing, and Juan was playing down. Juan could have played club level. Fuck. <laughs> I love how the, there's so many overlaps, right? Because Paul Mullen, right. you think of Banks, right? It's like <laughs> the Hawks, the way they got Banks, man, they had to like twist the district rules, right? You had to yeah. lawyer them. Bombay had to lawyer them. No, but I do love a lot of what you said. Like, you really feel for this community, for these players. You get to know them, right? Like you said, yeah. it's like this feel-good glossiness. It's real. It's these real insights. I think Hard Knocks gives you a lot of that, but it's you get even a longer time with them. I also love that you brought in the editing so much. I, I think that the football matches, the, the soccer matches are edited really well. I think they show a nice balance of, like, good stuff and bad stuff. And I think that they, like, kind of love the suspense to enough degree that they, like really relish in all the down moments. Like, I love that. You know, they could have edited this the way that you like kind of predict what's coming. I never knew what was coming. Like, are they going to win this game or are they going to lose this game, right? They didn't just brush over the losses. They brushed over part of the season because it was a lot of wins actually, right? And it was kind of like the montage sequence in Moneyball or something, you know what I mean? We can't show all these wins. So they just kind of like showed, okay, they they finally got the gears all going together, right? And so they like six games gave us real quick. But when they went into a game and like made it a narrative center of an episode, Mm -hmm. we really got the ebbs and flows of that game. And I forget they had one game that was like five to four and like i don't watch a lot of soccer but that had to have been one of the best all-time games this, yeah. this club has ever experienced i mean that was a phenomenal match right yeah um, even like, condensed it's crazy yeah. like you said seeing like 10 plus goals or whatever or close to 10 goals like yeah even condensed i was like like you said i was like how how is this live like the yeah. back and forth like yeah and, that was one thing that credit to them of the way they compiled that because it, it had you like asking like so many just like questions of the experience and credit to Paul Mullen and Ollie Palmer those two per- particular once they got together I know that they're like league ahead of these players but no matter what these are talented people and to like pull out those last second goals like that I mean it's just phenomenal yeah, it's yeah truly, like yeah. speak what you said like it's it's easy to like yeah they came down and performed where they're supposed to be but imagine if they didn't like how intimidating <laughs> it is like those are due to they if they get on you and they beat you one-on-one that is such a highlight reel on their record mm-hmm. like that's not gonna be on the fucking Wrexham show no one cares about the other teams but like for those other dudes who matter like in the realm of sports like you don't want to go down and get embarrassed by like these dudes and have them make a name off you hell no like you have to go down there and be like that good that's like it's terrifying the ta- talent and like they, you know they don't really talk about that to that level like they mentioned a couple times like you know they got to play against like these 
they basically say like they're still playing against good people but they don't really compile like the other end of the coin like what a chance it is to be like dude those fools are playing our league if we fucking beat them and look good like dude my contract gears up you know they don't really cover that but that's another thing like you know your legacy putting that on the line yeah and one of the most terrifying things too is to be an overperformer, needing to live up to your you know pedigree day yeah. in and day out that is terrifying and oh, yeah. really tough and know that you have to like outperform yeah to, like the play yeah. the worth of the contract is always um, like a major mental strain right and like yeah, yeah. It's, it's under brush but to see him actually do it like it's speak i couldn't speak to another it is you know shows the mental fortitude it's really interesting too. Cause like when I, as I was a kid, right. I played rec for like six years. Then I went to a club team. Right. And after like three years of club, I got kind of jaded and sick of it. And I really was tempted to go back to rec. Uh-huh. I, I felt like I was losing my like way in club. I felt like I was kind of like losing my footing, getting kind of not overlooked. I was always like the captain or whatever, but I wanted to be dominant. But like, to me that the idea of playing rec again and possibly not being as dominant as I once was, was terrifying i remember that thought going through my head again and again like i just wanted to go back and be like have a season of a reboot they do that with baseball players right you're you're struggling a bit they send you to the minor leagues right and there is something about playing good talent but slightly less and doing well that can kind of you get your swing back right or you get your footing back and i wanted to do that but even that is quite intimidating you know, this isn't an easy walk in the park for them by any means. Like they have to be the face of this franchise and they don't succeed at first, especially Paul Mullen isn't great for the first half. Like he gets yeah, a few big plays, <laughs> but he is looks a little, a little bit disoriented out there. Right. The whole team does. And so, you know, it just shows that like nothing is for certain, especially at this level. Right. Because they are just like the top tier team away from being in the next league because yeah. every year it, it switches right they have that substitution going on um so yeah I, I really thought that was a great part of this too there was some editing parts that i did not love like the last episode i didn't love all the flashbacks to be honest like of the whole series um, yeah. i thought they drew that out a little too long from that game and a few other things like i i liked it and i didn't like it but like the sort of slapdash I don't know. Nature was hit or miss for me. I'll say that it's definitely hit or miss. Like the episode with John Green, where he's giving the history is kind of fun. And then they're doing like a cooking show and then they're doing a faux sports center. I don't know, man. I like they're throwing everything at the wall and it's like a TV show. So they're not going to like shoot an episode and just shelve it. Yeah. Some of it was like, oh, this is filler. Like (laughs) capital (laughs) F filler those ones you named were definitely good examples yeah but but then like there was an episode all about you know as we said hamilton the old owner that was riveting right yeah the one about hooliganism was a half filler half riveting i like that yeah one. i thought the same thing yeah. that's a good way of putting it. half filler half riveting for sure yeah. it's bringing uh, in like this local element that is just like popping in because you have to talk about it kind of thing it was like really obligatory that has one of the most compelling stories like the woman who like basically lost her job as a policeman because she's marrying a hooligan <laughs> was just like again the way they conceal like the the you know the punchline on that one was really good <laughs> like that was the whole time like i'm like how is she a police person with this dude then it's my yeah. question i thought the way they framed it was great they made it sound like she got the job and stuff already i, I really like that one that was a good like red herring don't even fault them for that one but again, like the violence, the way the, the way they handle the subject matter itself felt very like kind of like obligatory. You have to talk about it. Um, yeah. The filler, like you know, the, even the the footage of it was just very like editorializing some of it a bit. Yeah, that's a great word, yeah. editorializing. <laughs> that was so funny too because her dad was in Super Furry Animals in the '90s, so she was like had this funny like past that kind of already attached to America, right? Because they were big like overseas band as well. They had like some '90s one hit one, like kind of radio Billboard chart hitting hits and uh so you get this story and then like like you set the punchline that she loses her job because of her 
idiotic hooligan boyfriend and the fact that like we have to watch them on a bench and she's like literally begging him not to like go by the stadium because he has a restraining order (laughs) he's such a he's such like an awful hooligan and he he's like unwilling to submit to that or like i I both like loved it i loved how stubborn of a hooligan like those are my mates man i can't not be there my mates with the season tickets and the fact that (laughs) this is maybe the funniest part of the whole show right he's buying three years or four years of season tickets so that he can hold his seat for when his restraining order ends i love that part of the conversation she's like so you're telling me you're you're buying season tickets this season and next season and the season after so come four years when you're finally allowed to enter the stadium again you'll have your seat and he's like i gotta be there with my mates man. <laughs> oh my god it was like the most diehard moment and like the, the idea he's so positive in a weird way he thinks yeah. he's gonna have a like his restraining order is not gonna get renewed he's positive like you know he really wants to go visit that stadium like dude yeah, so diehard. Yeah, the oblivious of it all is just so great. So great. I was like, leave him, but also like, dude, this is a committed person. Maybe he's the right one. Like <laughs> sticking through thick and thin to, to drink a pint with his mates. And <laughs> but some of the footage too is gnarly. Like we, oh, we, yeah. we 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 throw up in arms when we see these like YouTube videos of you know these <laughs> dudes throwing fisticuffs in NFL stadiums, but man, they go all out. They have like riot patrol, like ready yeah. for them because it's it's a like you said, like they show the part like nowadays they meet up before mm-hmm. to fight and like they do like like the outsiders. You basically yeah. meet up in, in a giant field or an alley and your two sides just run at each other and you brawl. I kind of respected it too because it was kind of like if everyone's game and it's cathartic for sure. Yeah, yeah, like and it's outside the stadium. It's one of those like again like the reality of the two solutions. You much rather have them way the fuck away from the stadium where like women mm-hmm. and children everyone's hanging out like just trying to enjoy the game and for whatever reason they want to fight let them do it yeah well you know they're like let me discriminate like there are parts of that that were totally fine like fight club s to me of just this very transparent open agreed upon hooliganism between like the hooligans versus the hooligans right all due respect if you want to have that like cathartic experience go for it but the part where like we have the anecdote of the guy who got jumped who had nothing to do with it when they become just like a of like a drunken yeah, they basically beat up their own fan too. yeah it wasn't even when on they, the opposing side <laughs> yeah when they become predatorial and just sort of like our hunting mm-hmm. game yeah uh, it's disgusting and actually i have firsthand experience i spent a semester of summer abroad in cambridge and on our last weekend we were out playing acoustic guitar in the local park in cambridge we walk back um we're all drinking a little it's nine o'clock we're not minding anyone's business right and we split ways i go one way uh, i still remember the people i was with and raj was one of them raj the uh you know the, the guy we had on for competitive frisbee our guest right we we got uh, we avoided it and the other group of like three guys got jumped by like 20 british guys oh god absolutely no reason they came back bloodied up just because we were americans like just total xenophobic but it was also just hooliganism it was just like british gang are like pretty gnarly like i never experienced that ever in my life actually i know it's pretty gnarly in some parts of america but i never experienced that Mm -hmm. and in cambridge like some people i was with if i went with that group that direction if i think we we went and got fries you know like the mayo fries the total like late (laughs) night snack at the truck we didn't do that we would have got jumped too or we would have hopefully saved them. But this kid, Richard, I remember was the one who got really totally beat up. This nice kid who's just like a total dork. Uh-huh. Um, awesome. Just like just a personal anecdote to say like they're legit cooligans mm-hmm. in the UK, man. <laughs> like th- those guys are out for trouble. They're the outsider like packs, right? I also personally loved all the little side bits about Rob and the Phillies, right? I loved when he talked to. Oh, yeah. yeah. When he talks owner. to the Eagles coach. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. The owner was even better, right? Because the yeah. owner was giving him some real sage advice. The coach was kind of, I don't know. I'm still not sold on the coach, to be honest. I love him because he's so Philly, but it's almost like uh, they've been planted a fan as their coach to me, <laughs> which I love, but it's like. <laughs> Might be the right solution for that. Because like, I was like how the episode like. <laughs> Oh, to my point, shows the graph of how how many how long they gave each coach a chance and like how many Super Bowls they returned versus how long they stayed. I love that. Always how like that reference. How wild was it though that Rob was talking to the owner and saying like, "Yo, you guys got rid of Doug Peterson." I think that's his name, right? Yeah. Like a year after he won the Super Bowl, I'm kind of calling him out, and it was yeah. really interesting to hear that owner's advice of like some people you stick with longer, and you know, and that was a kind of at a moment of crisis for Rexham, right? And yeah. They really positioned that well. And he's there looking for advice of like all these decisions as the owner. Like, when do you stick through the hard times? When do you know it's like something's wrong? And we see this time and time again, right? We see this in sports across the map. We're seeing this with, I mean, I'm not a big fan, but Mark Davis at the Raiders, right? And everyone wants their coach and he's sticking by him. And I actually probably think it's the wrong decision. I'm not sold at all on this guy as like a leader, but I always give a owner props for being like, just like, as he said, Rome isn't built in a day. Like. It's his first season and they were idiotic for firing uh, Bisaccia, if I'm hopefully pronouncing it right. Right. And there's also now stories. I'm sorry for the tangent, but it's so interesting to me. There's stories come out that they're so cash poor that they can't get rid of him. I don't know if you read that, but they're, they're cash poor. They don't have the money is the reality to fire their coach. So then therefore Mark Davis doesn't look anything cool, right? He's just literally doesn't have the the solvency to do it. And like, why didn't you pay for this affordable guy who had the love of your community, your fans and your players and took your team to the playoffs and almost won right off of a craziest year. Mm -hmm. Why didn't you keep him? Right. He would have been such a steal. Like he would have been so cheap to, to hire in on that terms. But anyways, interesting. Same, same position though, is these GMs yeah. and owners. Like when you have the money, you have to make those really tough gambles constantly, mm-hmm. right? Just gambles. Oh, it's like a fa- fantasy person, right? Yeah. Anyway, see if it pays off. You, you see if it pays off. Like, do I drop this player? Do I stick with this player? Like having that conversation and really seeing that Eagles owner talk about all the years and talk about the teams and talk about how he knew that like the noise was just noise or uh-huh. He believed in these people. So like he wasn't going to look at the record only, right? Or times when things were good. And like, it, it's almost a testament to like, maybe the owner that he did fire Doug, you know, Peterson so quickly after they won a Super Bowl, they're doing well again. No. And maybe he just saw like, this was, he was a one hit wonder. Maybe he read the the lines. Like that's a tough decision to fire a coach that soon after, right? Yeah, that takes sure. a good return. amounts of like courage. So there's a lot of interesting, like, behind the scenes universalities here that show you like how hard it is to be an owner or a GM. And we're seeing such amateurs do it. It's pretty, pretty fascinating stuff. Um, yeah, it makes for great television. I mean, great entertainment. Yeah. I'm excited. We're going to have a season two. I, I just saw that. Oh, cool. And it's going to be interesting because they weren't promoted. So it kind of ended as a perfect ending to season one. Like they got right there. Mm-hmm. They had their chances and they they didn't get promoted. And, you know, they had two huge games. They got to play in Wembley, which is like the stadium of yeah. all stadiums. Right. That was and a cool episode. That was a cool uh, Will Ferrell. Right. <laughs> Will Ferrell is hilarious in that one. <laughs> yeah. Who owns LAFC. Right. And. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was out there when they won their championship, one of the best games also that like kind of rivals that five to four one on this, that LAFC championship game, unreal, that back and forth. I think two goals in the last five minutes of extra time 
unbelievable stuff. So on this one, all things said, um, you could wrap it up and bring up anything we have left out. Well, I think we covered just about everything. I so think far. so too. Would you call this an underdog or an overrated uh, series? Yeah, um, I know it's like highly ranked or whatever right now. It's doing good. But yeah, for me, definitely an underdog. Because like I said, I had a completely different conception of what it actually was. Um, but actually, once I clicked it and checked it out, like this was one I was really into. Like once I binged it, because, you know, but when I had time, I was watching multiple episodes. I, again, I like the way it carries over. It made me like speak to your point. Like you've articulated pretty well here. Even though I'm not the biggest Ryan Reynolds fan, I don't dislike him. I'm not like not enthralled by him. Let me put it that mm-hmm. way. Like I am with some other actors and stuff like that. But it did make me understand why other people are a little more, I think. Why he's so good at what he does. And like you said, why that shtick, if it is a stick, is like still landing. I think that's one of my questions I've always had about him. Uh, he's kind of had that second resurgence of his career with the Deadpool and he's just kept riding that wave really well. And it, it made me like him a little bit more. And I've always been a really big fan of, like I said, it's always sunny. And Rob, I've always just loved loved that show. It's been on the air for so long now. And just to see, you know, how much of, you know, sports is such a big part of that show. They're just big fanboys, it seems like. And to see him take, you know, his nugget from that and like pitch it towards something you know, like he's passionate about. And in a, in a very like the character Mac way, like just go for it. Like, I really, I really like that. It's, it's, again, it's just, it's, it's cool. It's like inspiring. It's like you want to root for it, right? The other side of it. So I like the combo. The way it was presented, like I said, on, on the thumbnail was like, eh, cool. Like I thought they were going for like, like you said, a little too brandish, but they are, they're, they're a good, like cool, like little duo. It's, it's awkward at first, but that awkwardness makes you like, it gives it, it has a weird charm to like the show gives it that, mm-hmm. that, like you said, reality TV show kind of quality. But as it goes through, like I said, you like the way they're, they, they banter. They definitely mm-hmm. like banter really well. Uh, like you said, Mac plays really into the jealousy pretty pretty funny so there's a lot of good just like moments that they crack me up like in the way he would like um on it's always sunny so i appreciate the comedy side just it, it was a good representation of someone i actually like as a fan of their just their work as as, as a creator mackelmany and them and to see him in that light was cool yeah i mean they kind of got this funny i don't know abbott and costello or like they got this oddball couple shtick going right this this um goofy semi-awkward romance but it is kind of charming it reminds me a little bit of oddly enough in their heyday tom and mark i mean i think yeah. mac kind of looks like mark to me and tom <laughs> I, I don't know i just kept thinking of tom is ryan <laughs> uh i'm talking about blink 182 for anyone uh out there but um yeah it's weird like i'm still like you know slightly polarized about ryan reynolds um i don't dislike him and i don't even like dislike him in this show i don't think that he's like that evil right he's not like this sinister megalomaniac like you know he isn't elon musk in this right like literally putting his hands in everything he's just trying to make a savvy investment and doesn't really know the world so it's just kind of a gross on a macro scale the fact that like people with money get to be in power of Mm. institutions they have no business being in power of to be honest like i just don't like all of the elements that allow him to be in power of a of a welsh football team to be honest like Mm. He's not right for it, in my opinion. Does it make it any less interesting? No, it makes it more interesting, though, right? So that's why the show is, like, really riveting, right? It's, like, this weird juxtaposition, this weird asynchronicity right this incongruity of the elements mashing together and i give them respect i give them respect of doing the whole pc bit i don't buy it the whole pr move of like they really just want it all for this city (laughs) this poor blue collar welsh city oh give me a break roll my eyes every time they gave that i I, a little bit from rob i get that like he likes the ethos of that i think he likes the like brotherly love of the yeah it's not the drive behind it that's not the drive behind it you know um it's a nice little anecdote that like yeah works really well in the brand story for sure. 
For sure. And they're great at branding. And some of the branding really rubbed me the wrong way, right? A lot of this was heavy branding. And so like, I felt very torn because like the whole show felt somewhat of a ruse to subsidize the team, right? And so like, I feel like they're trying to rake our time and eyeballs for money, yet it's really good at times as well. Like there's these really neat depictions of like Welsh people I would never know about. Right. Mm-hmm. And it felt very authentic at times. So like, I felt like it was this very masterful, lovely thing. And there is something just so money hungry about it. Right. Mm-hmm. So mercantile about the whole packaging of it. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to keep it as an underdog. Even for that, I think it's really fascinating because like Ryan Reynolds as a whole has become that, right? Like everything he does, he's a walking brand. He is like The Rock. And there was an interesting, I forget exactly what they said, but like, does anyone actually relate to The Rock anymore? Or do they just relate to a brand? I'm paraphrasing, right? Uh-huh. And I said, well, for many Americans, I don't know if there's much of a difference. And furthermore, I think we have a greater resonance with brands than with individuals Definitely. in many ways, because we're raised on brands. That's like what we're tuned to. Like that's a, we've talked about it a few times on here, like with like Nike, mm-hmm. um, like even we're talking, going back to the, and one commercial, like in my affinity for like that Nike, the one you didn't like with the bouncing, when they're attempted to do street ball. Yeah. yeah that ball. Yeah. Those, <laughs> but like we're yeah, talking about, it, great. Yeah. like you said, the, the identity, like the brand can't do wrong in my eyes at that age. <laughs> right. It's, it's something you're raised on as an American. Yeah. And it's something um, you're so familiar with, right? Yeah, like it's something you, you like Christmas itself is a brand, right? But like Christmas, is one of the most like endearing times of like, you know, for some people, <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? It's like, we have all these good, warm feelings yet. It's, it's this package sort of like capitalistic entity. Right. So like yeah. Ryan though is, is so much his brand though. I was impressed. Like there was times where there was moments he's having a long day. I know these days, right. They showed their docket, right? Like yeah. meeting at 10 or of the race okay. car horse at 11. In, lunch at tw- like that's a long day and at like 6 p.m yeah you're flying in <laughs> like, yeah yeah like you said when they show their itinerary of the day like of just that oh, one day like and that's for them is a day of like it's business and it's also one of the more fun days for them mm-hmm. where it's more like meet and greet with actual you know there's People. other celebrities like yeah. there it's kind of showing off that mm-hmm. day but like you said seeing how like dialed in they have to be like it's basically having like a wedding every day right you're yeah. going to meet and greet and do you gotta represent your team and all that stuff, right? You're you're still on brand. But like, yeah, that was one thing that really stood out to me. It was like like the behind the scenes, like how much time it takes, like you need someone like that, even though they don't know shit about soccer, right? They do know about multiplying, like handling multiple mm. giant projects, flying around, you know, living that lifestyle and being productive. That's another thing you need. It's kind of like ingrained, it's unspoken in that. But like when you see that thing, like my eyes definitely lit up. I was like, fuck, man, I don't want to be up that early doing all that. But mm-hmm. you want to be a billionaire like Ryan Reynolds, you need to be. <laughs> he proved himself. It's kind of virtuoso to me in this. Like <laughs> he has an even keel. His whole smarmy kind of sarcasm keeps him nicely objective, right? Neutral enough to keep sober enough to make smart and savvy decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was very impressed. Like I want to sing his praises too. Like very impressed with him as a human. Like he is an excellent businessman. He has humor in the smallest moments. What I was trying to say too is like at 6 p.m. on those nights, he's making quips about his daughter not like demeaning her anyway i forget what it was but like there was a few jokes i'm like dude this guy's always on he is genuinely funny this is him like he's a funny person it's hard to be funny when you're exhausted at the end of a long day and even if the cameras are on right to like have these come to mind and have these like often it's like deflections to me though it's just so interesting he has all these shields right because that is such a shield yeah in particular like everyone has not everyone but like every persona every every celebrity to a degree has a shtick right they have um an identity right whether they even try to or not even someone who's trying to be like really like honest or like just 
visceral and exposed. I'm trying to think of someone on the top of my head, but like, I don't know, like late stage Madonna or someone, or like maybe Robert Patterson. He's trying to be like a real artist, right? They, they end up still having the shtick. It's like impossible to not have it, right? There's no way to separate like the soul from the persona. Like we are our surface, right? So like there is no underneath, but like he has such a shtick, right? That it's like, how do I empathize with this person? Like how, how do I get into this person who's naturally great at deflection, at sarcasm, right? At misdirection and yet you do see that like he is very good at being ryan reynolds and he is never off and he is not mean-spirited i won't say that in any way right he doesn't do anything wrong so like i'm i'm way too hard on him in that sense and i do think that like in some ways he begrudgingly had to do what I wanted him to have to do. It's he had to struggle <laughs> over the course of this series. That's all I really wanted. I didn't want to see them fail. Yeah. Now I want to see them fail. I wanted to see them struggle. I didn't want it to be a walk in the park. Uh-oh. I wanted to see them struggle because of what I laid out at the very beginning. I didn't want money yeah. to buy success. And so I, I like that. I like the idea of Rob is this like goofy visionary behind this concoction, right? This kind of harebrained scheme. And Ryan as the sort of tag along or, or kind of getting tugged along, to be honest, mm-hmm. and slowly seduced into it. And I'm really curious to see like in five years if they still own this club, how yeah. much they are still invested in it. And I kind of believe they will be. I, I truly believe like this is kind of a funny little like entrepreneurial love story in a funny way too. Oh yeah. If they get promoted, man. That like renews interest again. And the other thing that I want to say is like, I've, I've tweeted a few cynicisms and I had people from Wales, which is uh-huh. awesome, respond completely defending them right because like this is also another another really interesting philosophical debate that always people do is like do intentions matter or results matter right mm-hmm. does the cause or the effect more important right regardless of what their intentions are they revitalized the city it was a crumbling stadium after covid they were on the brink of insolvency they mm-hmm. were about to go bankrupt and they they are the saviors of this of this soccer yeah. team so like i can cavil about trifles like you know firing a coach or something which is actually very perfunctory in the professional sports world right like <laughs> the carousel of professional athletes and coaches and staff is is so transient it's ridiculous so like what they did really wasn't that crazy at all it was the fact for me that they knew nothing about the sports and were doing these things right that was the the disjunct at first for me that I, the hurdle i had to get over that was the <laughs> cognitive dissonance i was having anyways i'm glad i'm glad we had a cool back and forth I think that in some ways it wasn't as like like combative or uh, riveting as our um, Monty Tao episode, right? But I think this was a li- one where we definitely, I think I was way more I was cynical. <laughs> For sure. You got to put yeah, your cynical right. hat on this time. Yeah, I had the cynical hat on this time, right? Um, which gave it a nice balance. But anyways, great discussion. Anything else that you want to tap in on this or you think we're good to go? You no, think I think we- we're good to go on this one. Um, cover up next. I think we're going to hard knocks next, right? Yeah, let's. you want to do the, the Cardinals, right? Yeah, Cardinals. Yeah, so I think, yeah. I think that goes well with this one. Yeah, coming after this one, I like that format. So yeah, I think we'll do Cardinals next. We're already watching it, right? Like we're already week to week with that. So we can jump on that one. We're in that format right now. But man, we have a lot to catch up on. For our people, we've been super busy. I don't want to get into the Louise of that. But but you know, I think scarcity is cool too. So I don't really, we're not on a regular schedule, but we'll keep it going and we'll keep it just, I like it spontaneous. Yeah, we'll be popping in here and there. Yeah. You know, if we show up next time with Field of Dreams, guess what? That's what you're getting. <laughs> we show up next time with i don't know oh the mighty ducks maybe disney plus that's what you're getting oh no becca my hair has a new sports show right on uh disney plus i think or movie or oh, something like that that's that you, you might get a beckham thing we'll see yeah you know 
You might get Bendham like Beckham, you know. Oh, right. That's classic. Yeah. You might get The Rocketeer. We'll have to make a reason why that's a sports <laughs> movie. I don't know. You might get Eight Mile because we, you know, we went so hard on Eminem in our. <laughs> <laughs> Got to give him a chance. I mean, that's a sports movie, man. Eight, eight Mile is a, a total. It's all the sports tropes in that. It's got like one of the greatest sports songs of all time. No, that's all fair. time. Uh, the modern sports gems, you know, the number one the locker room sports song yeah. for sure. Oh, for sure. Um, so anyways, thanks for tuning in. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you want to promote us in any slight way, we would love it. So like review star, shout us out, tell your drinking buddy, right? Maybe there you're you uh, maybe you're living Rexham, right? Cause this goes out wide and our our funny anchor stat show that everyone around the world will listen to this like we have like you know whatever i'm not trying to my own horn but like some probably just stumbling upon it for two seconds but like we'll get weird places so if you're in wrexham tell us what's really up yeah tell us what's really up laugh about our ignorance too right because there's a hypocrisy of this whole thing that we're talking about you a lot right we're your americans just tell us why we're wrong we want to yeah. know which i was already schooled on twitter which i was trying to say some, some <laughs> local school me we're like dude this is great what are you talking about you're just like a rabble rousing twitter nerd you know <laughs> just an outraged american so that's what i am all right signing off peace out